Awesome, awesome word to start with today. A lot more like Jesus, a lot less like me. That's got to be good. Um, real quick, just the good news is we have lots of praises. We get, Our people are getting well and coming back. Bless Jesus for that. So good to see everybody. And uh, we're still praying for Rebecca Martin. She's doing better. She's still working out the quarantine time right now. But she's working with a cough, so we're going to pray her cough gets better this week, and she can get right back into things soon. And then the Placencias are traveling. 
uh, out to the West Coast. They went out there for Joe's mom's funeral, so we'll be remembering them in prayer as they travel uh, this next week or so. Keep them in your prayers. Um, and we're going to be out. I'm sorry, I didn't give you the page number today. Uh, it's on page thir 1390, 1390 in the church Bible. <clears throat> Page 1390. It's in the first chapter of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is so rich and full of amazing things. <clears throat> All right. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. <clears throat> Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, non, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Amen. What a word. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we just bless you for all of the healing that you've given our congregation in the past few weeks. We thank you, Lord, that our, our uh, congregation is coming back home. We're, we're coming back to church because we're getting well. Bless you, Jesus, for that, for your protection through these last few weeks. And uh, pray you continue to be with Rebecca. Help her, Lord, to, to be able to just, uh, this cough would just fall away from her, Lord, that, that your hand would be there with her and give her strength to uh, just return. And uh, we thank you for, uh, <clears throat> Lord, this word. Uh, that, that no matter what's going on, whether we're fighting illness or disease or whatever is going on, Lord, we are called to be holy because our Savior, Jesus, is holy. So I pray, God, that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing in our conduct, Lord, that we can be holy and represent your name to the people around us. I pray, God, that your spirit would rule, that you would have your way in our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, what you want to teach us today. Thank you for this time. We can come. We can give you thanks. We give you praise and honor for all you've done for each of us. It's in your holy name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.
darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt Praise forever 
before we actually begin our lesson today, I have something I just feel like the Lord has asked me to share with you. And um, <clears throat> so um, a couple of days ago during the middle of the week, I had something pop up on my phone on my YouTube where I usually listen to music and things like that. And it was about a new movie that's out. And oftentimes I see these advertisements that will come up on my phone on my YouTube. And they're things that are movies that come out on Pure Flick. I don't know if y'all know about Pure Flick or not. But I love Pure Flick. I love it because the things are clean. They're Christian. And um, so I, I watch these to see a lot of times if this is something that Roger and I would like to watch. So as I began to watch it, thinking that it was something we would want to maybe go see or, or maybe it was going to be on Pure Flick or whatever, I came to find out it was a movie that's coming out or is out in the movie theaters now called Redeeming Love. Has anybody heard of that? So it's, it's at the movie. And uh, I thought, yes, because it said that it was inspired by the book of Hosea in the Bible. So I'm thinking, yes, this is something Roger and I might go to the movie and see this. And, um, but as I began to see the trailer of this and um, understand, do a little bit of reading on the reviews, I was uh, quite disappointed at the least. And I saw that this is a place that many Christians are going to go and be deceived thinking this is a biblical teaching and a biblical uh, message and understanding. It's not that at all. It's not that at all. And um, it is based on a book by Francine Rivers called Redeeming Love. And she did say that the book of Hosea inspired her to write this, this book that she wrote. Though the book she wrote was fiction, the movie is certainly fiction. And I would say it's loosely resembles Hosea. Um, the book of Hosea is, um, is a book and a story... Bless you, Lord. Yes, help, help this situation, huh? Yes, thank you, Lord. And um, so the book of Hosea is a, is a book about a spiritual place where God is calling Hosea to walk in a manner that is reflective of where Israel is. So is Israel, the nation of Israel, has walked into adultery and idolatry to the Lord. It's a spiritual understanding where they have walked away from God's truths and into the darkness. And the book of Hosea is about how much God hates sin. And how he despises when we find ourselves walking in sin. And it's a place of consequences and judgment. But it is a place of his redeeming love. 
as Israel comes to repentance. This movie is about a young child who is kidnapped and brought into sexual trafficking. Hosea has nothing to do with that. But the thing that concerns me most about this movie is that it tends to lead to an understanding that Hosea was somehow about darkness that was that a victim was actually brought into innocently. That is not the that is not the situation in Hosea. It is a choice to be in darkness, and it's a choice to come into repentance. So there's no place of repentance in this movie. Um, the other thing that bothers me about this movie is it's got lots and lots of sexual scenes, apparently. I've not seen it, and I don't intend to see it. But even the trailer had a lot of... Um, places that would tend to draw you into a sexual place. So particularly people, men and women, who struggle with pornography, this is definitely a place that I would tell you is soft pornography, leading the minds into a place of, of darkness and definitely not God's holiness. The frustrating place for me is because they advertised this as that it was inspired by a book of God's word. This is trash. And I pray that not only will you prayerfully seek out what God would have you see, about this understanding, but I pray that you would share it with people that you know. I pray that this is not a place that Christians are deceived and brought into what I believe would be just for money. I believe they're advertising it for in this way just to draw people in. It has nothing to do with the powerful word and heart of God. Okay, today's message. Let's turn to Proverbs 25.2. It's on page 754. If you've been around me very long... <laughs> You will probably have heard me say that my favorite proverb is Proverbs 25.2. And God taught me some great lessons in this place, and I've held on to them and treasure them. So let's read Proverbs verse 20, uh, chapter 25, verse 2, on page 754. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. It's the glory of God 
to conceal something. I want to submit to you, I think this is much of the Bible. And I think we don't understand that and we're not sometimes searching out the fullness of what God is saying. But he says it's the glory of kings that will come and search out what he's got concealed. To me, this is exactly what it means to be thirsty. So when we say, are you thirsty for the things of the Lord? This is what I believe it means. That you want the deep places, the deep truths, the deep understandings, not just the surface level. You want to know the heart of God. You want to know what he's saying. So I believe this is the backdrop for our message today. So we've been in John the last few weeks, and if you'll turn with me to page 1227, page 1227, we're going to be in John again today. We've been in John chapter 5 for the last three weeks. We're going to look just a little bit at the last part of John 5 and then go into John 6. So page 1227, John 5, we're going to start in verse 44. Now, as you remember, coming into verse 44, Jesus had been having quite a strong conversation with the Pharisees. They were angry with Jesus because he healed a paralyzed man and what they would say is broke the Sabbath, the laws of the Sabbath. But as we looked a few weeks ago, we saw that that was not the case. Jesus did not break the laws of the Sabbath, but rather he broke the religious leaders' laws, not God's laws. And they were very angry about that. He also insinuated that he and God were equal. Well, maybe insinuate is not the right word. He stated that he and God were equal. And they became very incensed at this. And Jesus came with great, a great uh, sermon is what I would say of being able to come and help them to see or give them the opportunity to see who he really was. And he came in this place and he said, I have the power to give life. And he said, I have the power and the authority to bring judgment. And I have the power and the authority to bring resurrection, whether to life eternal with him or to condemnation. And then he said, and I have witnesses, not just myself saying this, and he brought forth the understanding of witnesses. John the Baptist, the miracles that he did as a witness, the Father as a witness, and the law and the scriptures as his witness. 
So the opportunity for the Pharisees to truly see who Jesus was, was there. So starting today, we're going to look at part of this place where he's still continuing to talk to the Pharisees. So starting in verse 44, Jesus says, How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes only from God? In other words, he's saying, you want to be praised by what the people say, what your friends say about things. You want to be lifted up rather than looking for honor that comes only from God. Verse 45 says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. And we talked about this a little bit, that in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says there's going to be another, a prophet, that God is going to raise up. And he said, he is the one you'll listen to. He's the one you'll follow. But they've ignored that part of the scripture and that part of the law. And so Jesus is saying, it's not me that's going to have to accuse you. You have broken the very law of Moses, who you say you trust in. And then verse 46 says, for if I, I'm sorry, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? When I was reading that this week and continuing on in chapter 6, I was really drawn to this place of understanding how God has changed my life in understanding who Jesus is. When he began to change my life and open up to me his truths, he took me back to the Old Testament for a foundation. Most of the time, when I grew up, when I went to church, I was taught we were a New Testament church. Anybody in here ever heard that said before? You're a New Testament church. So you don't really worry much about what was taught in the Old Testament because you're a New Testament church. So you're, you learn all that there is in the New Testament, and you don't really pay much attention to the Old Testament. That is exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the whole Old Testament, if you will, the places that Moses wrote, the, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, he's saying these are all about me. I'm on every page. Every story is about me. And we have failed as a church when we don't teach that. Why would I say that? Because the very words of Jesus teaches that. So I see this place of where God has concealed some things that we have to be willing to search out those things to see the fullness of who he is. Now let's read in chapter 6, verse 1. 
says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrews, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in numbers, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise the fish, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments of five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. It's a great story. It's a great miracle. Jesus is teaching here to his disciples and these people. There's 5,000 of them. There's not anything to eat. He prays over the bread and the fish, and he's able to feed all the people, plus there is some left over. Most of my life, that's what I knew of this story. It was a great miracle. Jesus can multiply the food. But over the last few years, God has brought forth some understanding of the matter that's concealed here. First thing I want you to know is, he's talking to Jewish people right here. There's some things they know that we don't understand because we haven't studied in the way that they did. You see, they knew the Old Testament by heart. They knew the stories. They knew the truths. They knew God's word. So God is saying, I'm sorry, Jesus is saying some things to them that gets lost sometimes to us because we have not set our foundation as it needs to be set. So I want to go through and I want to show you some things that God has pointed out to me that are very important to the story and something I think we can glean from different from just the fact that it's a miracle. One of the things that we've seen in John 
And one of the things I've seen in my life, I have seen many, many, many miracles. But what I would tell you about the miracles that I have seen God do and about the things that John is telling us is that these signs, these miracles, are always to lead to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. Always. Always. His miracles are not just so we'll feel better. His miracles have a spiritual understanding if we want to go into the deep waters with him. All right, let's look at this. So Jesus, it says um, in verse 2, he sees this great miracle coming. I'm sorry, this great multitude coming that have been following him. Because why? Because they've seen the signs that he's doing. And they want to know more. So they're coming. I want you to hear that. They are followers who say, I want more of who you are. So they're coming for more. And then it says, Jesus went up on the mountain. I want you to hear that mountain. Because over and over and over again, the Bible talks about things that happen on the mountain. You might One of the first things you might remember about the mountain is that Moses was up on the mountain when he met with God in a burning bush. And then Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and he meets with God. So the mountain, when you see the mountain and Jesus on the mountain, you can understand that God's presence is doing something here. So we, if we just read, well, Jesus went up on the mountain, you know, and he's going to teach these people, then we miss the very fullness of what it's saying. It's trying to awaken your spirit, to shake you, and say, Jesus is on the mountain. God's presence is here. That's what he's saying to the people he's just been arguing with about whether he's God or not. You see? So he's helping us to see a little deeper into what he's saying. Then he goes in and it says, and he sat with his disciples. A, a really powerful place is, is that you'll see many times in the teachings of Jesus that when he was teaching, he would come and sit. We might think that Jesus would be standing up so that people can, but he sat. And I think it's a picture of authority in this place, of he didn't have to be up above everybody trying to make his word known. He could come and recline, if you will, and rest, if you will, in what God was doing. Then at the next place, it says, now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Isn't that funny? I don't know why John would say that to us, but always John says things because he wants us to think about something. So what he's saying here is the Passover, the feast, is about Jesus' death. 
It's about Jesus' death. It's about redemption. It's about Jesus paying the price for your sin. Passover. Then verse 5, it says, And Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he sees this great multitude coming. And so he says something to Philip. He says, listen, where are we, how are we going to feed these people? you have any bread? We're going to talk about bread next week, so we're going to leave that understanding for this week. But he was testing Philip to see what he would say. And, uh, and, and Philip says, oh my goodness, 200 dinar. He's saying 200 worth of, of, of bread would not be enough to give any of them very much, is what he's saying. They, they just wouldn't have very much. So why 200, and what is he saying here? Two, <clears throat> let me give you a scripture. I want to let you look this up. Um, put your marker here because we're going to come back to this, okay? So, and go to Exodus 25. It's on page 89. Because while you're turning there, I want you to remember page 89. Page 89, Exodus 25. What I want you to remember is that any time there are numbers in the Bible, God is saying something to you. Numbers have a spiritual understanding. So it's that place we've seen many times. The physical is a reflection of something in the spiritual. Numbers mean so many things. And if we just read over them, we lose that deeper meaning. So going to Exodus 25, looking at uh, verse 22, it says, And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in, in commandment to the children of Israel. Okay, so... The two cherubim, so he's telling us about this two. Also, if you go on and read, you'll remember that Jesus sent them out two by two. Do you remember when they went out to witness? They went out two by two. Two is witness. There's a lot of scriptures that give... Um, understanding to that but we won't look them all up I want you just to begin to understand two means witness so he's saying even if you had 200 so now he's saying a whole lot of witness here would it be enough to even give them each a little bit all right so moving on in verse 8, um, Andrew says, well, there's a lad, in verse 9, who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Barley, Passover. He's bringing us back to that understanding of Passover again, of redemption, of Jesus' death. The barley loaves were, the barley grain 
was harvested at Passover. Not the wheat, but the barley was. And he says, there's five loaves. So five is an understanding of the Torah, the five books of the law. Okay? So Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. It's called the Torah. It's called the law. And then there are two small fishes. Those witnesses, two, are the Psalms and the prophets. So I want you to look at the scripture. Leave your marker here and turn with me to Luke 24. It's on page 1219. Page 1219. And we're going to look at verse 27. Um, right above 27, let's look at 20. Mm, verse 26. Jesus says, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into glory? He's saying, shouldn't this, be, shouldn't this happen? And then he says something very interesting in 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scripture the things concerning him. So over here in Luke, in a totally different situation... He helps us to understand. When he's teaching people, he starts with Moses and the prophets to help explain who he is so that we will understand who Jesus truly is. All right, let's look back at John uh, just for a minute. You know what? I want to show you something. Let's not go to John. Let's go to Isaiah, uh, page 848. It's going to be Isaiah 53. I want to show you just an example of what Jesus is telling us here. <clears throat> and look at verse 5. So Isaiah the prophet, long before Jesus lives, writes these words. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. He's talking about Jesus. So Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus. So in the very things I'm telling you is, as you read the Old Testament over and over and over again, you see the prophecies of Jesus, the stories of Jesus. I want to look at another one, Daniel um, 7. It's on page 1029.
Daniel chapter 7, page 1029. We looked at this one a couple of weeks ago in verse 13. It says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nation, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. You see, Daniel was writing, prophesying about Jesus and his kingdom, and that it will last forever. So the Psalms and the prophets excuse me, speak of Jesus. Let me give you one in the Psalms. Look at 630, just so we can, page 630. And it's Psalms 22. We'll just look at one verse. Verse 18 says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. We know that this happened right before Jesus was crucified. They took his garments and they cast lots lots for his garments. So the Psalms is writing of Jesus. Now let's look back at John, back at your marker. So Jesus is telling us that he's feeding these people, is what I want you to hear. He's feeding these people on the Old Testament. The Torah, the law, and the Psalms, and the prophets. He's feeding them. Now let's go on. In verse 10, it says, Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. This word is actually recline, like it is at Passover, that they would come and recline to eat the Passover. And he says, uh, And so the men sat down in number about 5,000. So this place of five not only means law, Jesus' laws, I mean, uh, God's laws, the Torah, but it also means grace. Of course it does. God's grace is in the law that he gave that explains his holiness. So he's saying these five people, uh, these 5,000 people that are sitting down, he says, come and sit down, rest in the teaching I'm about to give you. My grace is going to be poured out in understanding. Then it goes on. And um, 
Another, another, let me just say this too. Another place that you might see here is this understanding of five is grace, but it's also the understanding of jubilee because 50 is the jubilee year, and that means freedom. Everything is restored. And so God is going to begin, Jesus is going to begin to explain to these people through the Old Testament the fullness of, of the kingdom. Then it says in verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them among uh, distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled he said to his disciple, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Okay, what, let's look again. Put your marker here and look at Luke 24 one more time. It's on page 1219. Um, all right, look at verse 44, Luke 24, verse 44. And he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be filled, fulfilled which were written in the law of, the, of Moses and the prophets and the psalm concerning me. They all had to be fulfilled. He filled them up. Everything that was in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. He said, these are the things I've been teaching you. And they all had to be fulfilled by me. Now, if you look back at John in verse 12, it says, so when they were filled. What he's saying is when their understanding was filled up. He was teaching them about the Torah. He was teaching them about the law. He was teaching them about the prophets and about the Psalms. And when they were filled up with his teaching, their understanding was full. They began to see Jesus. They began to know who he is. Not because of what was happening right here and now, but in what was given through these understandings. Their lives began to change. Then it says in verse 13, Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. So 12 baskets were left over. 12 is spiritual authority, God's government. The 12 tribes of Israel the 12 disciples, 
God's spiritual authority. You see, what Jesus is saying is, when you learn who I am, all the way, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, you're going to be so filled up that you will walk in spiritual authority. Now look at what they said the next thing in verse 14. It says, then those men, so those people that are right there, when they had seen the signs that Jesus did, said this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. They said, this is him. This is the prophet. What are they talking about? We don't even know, do we? Look with me. Hold your marker here and go to Deuteronomy 18. Page 223. We were talking about what Moses wrote a while ago. In the law, the first five books of the Bible, Moses writes right here in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Look at verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them all that I command him. Moses is writing about the prophet that's going to come all the way back over here. These Jewish people understood when Jesus began to open up the law and the prophets to them, feeding them on the Old Testament. They said, this is the prophet. This is the prophet that God's going to raise up. Now, I want to jump down. We're going to teach on this other next week, but jump down to verse 26 on John. John 6, verse 26, back where your marker is. And Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. He said, you don't even know why you're here. But it wasn't because of the miracles. It wasn't because of the physical things you saw. It's because of the spiritual place that you're being filled up. That's why you're thirsty. I want to say this to you, my friends. You can only find this kind of fulfillment when you're in the word of God now real quickly I want to show you one more place in Mark turn with me to Mark 6 it's on page 1159 If you read through Mark, starting about verse 38, 
you will see the story that we just read in John. In fact, the feeding of the 5,000 is in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's in all four of them. It was important. They all wrote about it. So if you read and begin to read here, you will see that Mark writes about feeding the 5,000. Now I want you to turn over to page one page to chapter 8 to 1161. Starting in verse 1. This is a different time. I want you to understand. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way. For some of them have come from afar. Then Jesus' disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. It's a different story, a different time. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave them thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away. So what is Jesus telling us in this place? He said they'd been following him for about three days. Three is important. Three means completion. It means the Godhead. But it's completion. So God is telling us something about completion right here. Then he says, give them, uh, he's got how many loaves of bread? Seven. Seven is perfection. Jesus is feeding them on the whole Bible, his perfect word. Here's the thing I want you to hear. The people that he was feeding over here were only the Jewish people in the 5,000. This group of people is Jews and Gentiles. And he's helping them to understand that more is going to be given. You've been given a foundation over here in your 5,000 people. But you see, this follows. And it comes with Jesus helping them to understand the whole Bible is going to be foundational. You're going to have more than just the five books. But what I want, and the Psalms and the prophets. He says, more than just your Old Testament, you're going to have your New Testament too. But what I want you to hear is the five is in the seven. 
The five is in the seven. He doesn't do away with the Old Testament and say, okay, you are only going to be learning this. No. He's saying, I've taught you in these other ways. This was foundational for me. Now I'm going to enlarge your understanding. And, and you're going to have the whole Bible. The whole Old Testament and New Testament. And then he says, there's a few fish. In this place of the New Testament, he is raising up people like Paul, along with the disciples, the 12 disciples. And he's raising up some other teachers and, and pastors that we read about in, in Acts. And in fact, if you go and read in Acts 1, there's 120 of these new fishes that are going to begin to explode the understanding that they're given on the world. Four. Four thousand. Four means creative miracle. God is creating this miracle to happen to where the gospel will move forward. This is a powerful message if you, get a, if you get a hold of it. If you even grab hold of a little bit of it, it is a powerful place. And what it should do is, is it should cause you to be hungry. It should cause you to be thirsty. It should cause you to want to eat of the bread and the fish and the New Testament and all of God's word perfection. It's all there. It's all here. It should cause you to want to read every day. Here's the thing. There's a lot of people out there and I, I, that read a lot of devotionals or books. And, and, and there's some good things in devotionals. There's some good things in books. But it's not like reading the Word of God. It is not going to fill you up when you grab hold of some place and begin to read. I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but this will happen to you where you will begin to read in his Bible. And as you read, you go, I, I need to get ready for work, but I, I just don't want to put it down. I want to read some more. I want to know what else he's going to show me. Because what happens when you read the word of God? is he begins to do exactly like he's doing with the multitude sitting here. He begins to open your understanding and fill you up. That you might go out and be witnesses for him. I don't know how you give that to anybody. I want to so badly say, I want you to have this thirst, this hunger for his word. Because only in his word are you truly going to find the fullness of who he is. 
You can't have full relationship on just what you've been taught and on just what you've heard and just what you think. The fullness will come when you really find the things that have been concealed. And it will light your heart on fire for who he is. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search that matter out. I pray that you will stand with us and sing and be filled. If there's a place in your heart that you want these deeper places, you want this deeper walk with Jesus, we would love to pray with you that God's fire might begin to burn inside of you and draw you into this place in a deep way. Stand with me. Moses stood on a mountain Waiting for you to pass by You placed your hand over his face presence he wouldn't die and all this saw your glory and it shines down through the edge now you've called us
amongst kings and some peasants. And all Israel saw the glory, and it shines down through the air. Now you've called us to boldly seek your Just see.